With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 16 of Tarzan of the Apes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs Chapter 16 Most Remarkable Several miles south of the cabin, upon a strip of sandy beach, stood two old men, arguing. Before them stretched the broad Atlantic. At their backs was the dark continent. Close around them loomed the impenetrable blackness of the jungle. Savage beasts roared and growled. Noises, hideous and weird, assailed their ears. They had wandered for miles in search of their camp, but always in the wrong direction. They were as hopelessly lost as though they had suddenly been transported to another world. At such a time, indeed, every fibre of their combined intellects must have been concentrated upon the vital question of the minute, the life-and-death question to them of retracing their steps to camp. Samuel T. Philander was speaking. "'But, my dear professor,' he was saying, "'I still maintain that but for the victories of Ferdinand and Isabella over the fifteenth-century Moors in Spain, the world would be to-day a thousand years in advance of where we now find ourselves. The Moors were essentially a tolerant, broad-minded, liberal race of agriculturalists, artisans, and merchants, the very type of people that has made possible such civilization as we find to-day in America and Europe, while the Spaniards—' "'Tut, tut, dear Mr. Philander,' interrupted Professor Porter. Their religion positively precluded the possibilities you suggest. Moslemism was, is, and always will be a blight on that scientific progress which has marked— Bless me, Professor, interjected Mr. Philander, who had turned his gaze toward the jungle. There seems to be someone approaching. Professor Archimedes Q. Porter turned in the direction indicated by the near-sighted Mr. Philander. "'Tut, tut, Mr. Philander,' he chided. "'How often must I urge you to seek that absolute concentration of your mental faculties which alone may permit you to bring to bear the highest powers of intellectuality upon the momentous problems which naturally fall to the lot of great minds? And now I find you guilty of a most flagrant breach of courtesy in interrupting my learned discourse to call attention to a mere quadruped of the genus Felis, 
as I was saying, Mr. Heavens, Professor, a lion! cried Mr. Philander, straining his weak eyes toward the dim figure outlined against the dark tropical underbrush. Yes, yes, Mr. Philander, if you insist upon employing slang in your discourse, a lion. But as I was saying, bless me, Professor, again interrupted Mr. Philander. Permit me to suggest that doubtless the Moors who were conquered in the fifteenth century will continue in that most regrettable condition, for the time being at least, even though we postpone discussion of that world calamity uh, until we may attain the enchanting view of yon Thelus Carnivora, which distance proverbially is credited with lending. In the meantime the lion had approached with quiet dignity to within ten paces of the two men, where he stood curiously watching them. The moonlight flooded the beach, and the strange group stood out in bold relief against the yellow sand. "'Most reprehensible, most reprehensible!' exclaimed Professor Porter, with a faint trace of irritation in his voice. "'Never, Mr. Philander, never before in my life have I known one of these animals to be permitted to roam at large from its cage.' I shall most certainly report this outrageous breach of ethics to the directors of the adjacent zoological garden. "'Quite right, Professor,' agreed Mr. Philander. "'And the sooner it is done, the better. Let us start now.' Seizing the Professor by the arm, Mr. Philander set off in the direction that would put the greatest distance between themselves and the lion. They had proceeded but a short distance when a backward glance revealed to the horrified gaze of Mr. Philander that the lion was following them. He tightened his grip upon the protesting professor and increased his speed. "'As I was saying, Mr. Philander,' repeated Professor Porter. Mr. Philander took another hasty glance rearward. The lion also had quickened his gait and was doggedly maintaining an unvarying distance behind them. "'He is following us!' gasped Mr. Philander, breaking into a run. "'Tut, tut, Mr. Philander,' remonstrated the professor. "'This unseemly haste is most unbecoming to men of letters. What will our friends think of us, who may chance to be upon the street and witness our frivolous antics? Pray let us proceed with more decorum.' Mr. Philander stole another observation astern. The line was bounding along in easy leaps, scarce five paces behind. Mr. Philander dropped the professor's arm and broke into a mad orgy of speed that would have done credit to any varsity track team. "'As I was saying, Mr. Philander,' screamed Professor Porter, as, metaphorically speaking, he himself threw her into high. He too had caught a fleeting backward glimpse of cruel yellow eyes and half-open mouth within startling proximity of his person. With streaming coat-tails and shiny silk hat, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter fled through the moonlight close upon the heels of Mr. Samuel T. Philander. Before them a point of the jungle ran out toward a narrow promontory, and it was for the haven of the trees he saw there that Mr. Samuel T. Philander directed his prodigious leaps and bounds, while from the shadows of the same spot peered two keen eyes in interested appreciation of the race. It was Tarzan of the Apes who watched, with face a-grin, this odd game of follow the leader. He knew the two men were safe enough from attack in so far as the lion was concerned. 
the very fact that Numa had foregone such easy prey at all convinced the wise forest craft of Tarzan that Numa's belly already was full. The lion might stalk them into hungry again, but the chances were that if not angered he would soon tire of the sport and slink away to his jungle lair. Really, the one great danger was that one of the men might stumble and fall, and then the yellow devil would be upon him in a moment, and the joy of the kill would be too great a temptation to withstand. So Tarzan swung quickly to a lower limb in line with the approaching fugitives, and as Mr. Samuel T. Philander came panting and blowing beneath him, already too spent to struggle up to the safety of the limb, Tarzan reached down and, grasping him by the collar of his coat, yanked him to the limb by his side. Another moment brought the professor within the sphere of the friendly grip, and he too was drawn upward to safety just as the baffled Numa, with a roar, leaped to recover his vanishing quarry. For a moment the two men clung panting to the great branch, while Tarzan squatted with his back to the stem of the tree, watching them with mingled curiosity and amusement. It was the professor who first broke the silence. "'I am deeply pained, Mr. Philander, that you should have evinced such a paucity of manly courage in the presence of one of the lower orders, and by your crass timidity have caused me to exert myself to such an unaccustomed degree in order that I might resume my discourse. As I was saying, Mr. Philander, when you interrupted me, the Moors—' "'Professor Archimedes Q. Porter,' broke in Mr. Philander, in icy tones— the time has arrived when patience becomes a crime, and mayhem appears garbed in the mantle of virtue. You have accused me of cowardice. You have insinuated that you ran only to overtake me, not to escape the clutches of the lion. Have a care, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter. I am a desperate man. Goaded by long-suffering patience, the worm will turn. Tut-tut, Mr. Philander, tut-tut cautioned Professor Porter. You forget yourself. I forget nothing as yet, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter, but believe me, sir, I am tottering on the verge of forgetfulness as to your exalted position in the world of science and your gray hairs. The professor sat in silence for a few minutes, and the darkness hid the grim smile that wreathed his wrinkled countenance. Presently he spoke. "'Look here, skinny philander,' he said in belligerent tones. "'If you are looking for a scrap, peel off your coat and come on down on the ground, and I'll punch your head just as I did sixty years ago in the alley back of Porky Evans' barn.' "'Ark!' gasped the astonished Mr. Philander. "'Lordy, how good that sounds! When you're human, Ark, I love you, but somehow it seems as though you had forgotten how to be human for the last twenty years.' The professor reached out a thin, trembling old hand through the darkness until it found his old friend's shoulder. "'Forgive me, Skinny,' he said softly. "'It hasn't been quite twenty years, and God alone knows how hard I have tried to be human for Jane's sake, and yours, too, since he 